Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, especially today. Especially today. Hallelujah. Yes, you can clap. Hallelujah. Before we begin, let's just take a minute to pray, a couple of minutes to pray. Um, Yesterday was a difficult day across our nation. We've been in difficult times for the last several months. We want to pray this morning and ask the Lord to come and to intervene as we have been praying regarding this virus, but in, and no doubt in the last couple of weeks regarding what has taken place in our nation and especially yesterday. We want to invite the Prince of Peace to come, to come and invade the cities, not invade, come and rest upon the cities of our nation, our own city. We want to pray for justice. We want to pray for peace. We want to pray for understanding. We want to pray for healing for those who have been afflicted by this virus, by those who have been hurt, by those who are mourning loved ones' loss for whatever reason. So let's take a moment just to go before the Lord and lift these things before him. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your sweet presence, Holy Spirit, in this place this morning. You say wherever we are gathered in your name, you are in our midst, and you inhabit our praises. And we sense your presence among us, Lord, as we fellowship with you in, in worship and with one another this morning. And God, we, th- we pray, Father, for that peace, the peace of God to rest upon our nation today. We pray against the works of the enemy who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And we know your heart, Lord, is for healing and for wholeness, for understanding, for love. And so, God, we pray for our nation. We pray that justice will roll down like a river across this land, Lord God. We pray, Father, for those who have been hurt and those who are mourning loved ones who, lost, who were lost yesterday. We pray for those, Father, who are, who are mourning the loss of loved ones across this nation in these last three months because of this unseen enemy. And we pray, God, that you would intervene. Father, for those who are in leadership, we pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom, God, for everyone from the president on down to the local officials. And we pray, Father, for wisdom and insight for those seeking to find a treatment for this virus and for those seeking to find a vaccine. We thank you for researchers who are applying themselves to that. We pray, God, that the day would come soon when this will be in our past. And, Lord, that we will once again be able to uh, move about in, in the freedom, Lord, that you have given us as a people in, these, in this nation, Lord. So, God, we just lift all these things to you. We lift them all to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. One thing I want to make sure you're aware of, Ryan, or, or Stephen mentioned, we will be... Uh, Blessing Ryan and Mel and the family next week. And we will also have a reception of some kind following the service uh, so that you can say goodbye 
or farewell. We won't say goodbye. But uh, just want you to be aware of that also. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Also, one other person I want to acknowledge. How about that drum cage up there? Beautiful. Dave, where's Dave? There he is over there. Oh, he's gone. Dave Kirk primarily worked on that and put that together. Just a lot of things going on. Beautiful arrangement on the stage now. It's a new day. New beginnings. New beginnings. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, we're supposed to stay within an hour framework for the message for the service today. I'll do my best to do that. My message won't be that long, but praise the Lord. The use of uh, propaganda in wartime is nothing that's unusual. In fact, during World War II, both the Allies and the Axis powers, the Allies, the United States, Great Britain, and those allied with them, and the Axis powers, Germany and Japan and, and Italy, all these powers used propaganda both to rally their troops and their citizenship, or their citizenry, and especially in the case of the Axis powers, to demoralize and discourage the enemy. For instance, women who were nicknamed Tokyo Rose and Axis Sally were involved in radio broadcasts that uh, were aimed to do just that, to bring discouragement and, and to demoralize. And they used a mixture of lies and half-truths and exaggeration to attempt to achieve their goal. They attempted to make the soldiers question their objective or their ability to uh, win a victory. They aimed to plant concern for their loved ones back home and what may be happening with them. So while the effectiveness of that, uh, those broadcasts was ultimately largely questioned, the objective was not. It was to create fear and still fear and doubt, and to demoralize both the populations of these nations and the fighting forces. Today we want to look at some passages, some verses in Scripture that speak about the use of propaganda by an enemy of the nation of Judah, namely Assyria, and how they sought to demoralize and instill fear in those people. We're continuing a series today on the life and the reign of King Hezekiah called A King Among Kings. Hezekiah was spoken of in the book of 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. We're going to be looking at verses from both those books today. In 2 Kings 18, it is said of Hezekiah that there was none like him in all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him, because he trusted in the Lord. And we saw how he trusted in the Lord and clung to the Lord in the first week of this series. Last week we looked at some of the actions that he took that reflected that trust and faith in God, namely the opening of the temple. And we uh, spoke about how that parallels with our own temple, that we as the body of Christ that, and in each of us individually as members of that body being the, the dwelling place of the temple of God. So today we're going to look at Hezekiah again, but we're going to see him in slightly, a slightly different light because we're going to see him in his weakness in a time where he gave in to doubt 
and fear. But we're all gonna, also going to see how Hezekiah, after that time, rebounded to turn again to the Lord and to see God move in a powerful way. I'm going to be reading numerous scriptures today, so I'm not going to ask you to turn to any of them. You can if you want. We're going to be looking in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 and 2 Chronicles chapters 31 and 32 and bouncing back and forth. So it may be if you want to open your Bibles to, to read along, you can or try to follow. I have all the scriptures written down here, but you might want to simply listen to the Word of God. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. And I know that's okay because this is God's word. Amen? So as we begin, we want to look at Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 20 to 21. And in this, these particular verses, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. Now that statement comes at the end of 29, 30, and 31. We looked at 29 last week where Hezekiah opened the temple again after his wicked father Ahaz, who was also a king of Israel, a king of Judah, had closed the temple. Hezekiah sought to undo almost everything that Ahaz had done in his rebellion against God. He reopened the temple. He reestablished the priesthood. He once again celebrated the Passover, the most awesome holiday, uh, almost awesome celebration in Israel's history, which had not been celebrated for many years. He celebrated in a mighty way. He did all these things that undid the evil things that Ahaz had done. So when it says, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, it's speaking of all those things. And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking as the God he did with all his heart and prospered. That's the end of chapter 31. Chapter 32 begins this way. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. So Hezekiah is faced with this invasion after all these mighty works of faithfulness. We're going to talk more about all this. I'm going to read through all these scriptures, and then at the end of the message, just make application for all of them. 2 Kings 18.7 says this, And the Lord was with him. This is speaking of Hezekiah after it says he trusted in the Lord. Wherever he went out, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Syria and would not serve him. It was that rebellion against Assyria that brought this invasion by Sennacherib on the nation of Judah. Hezekiah decided he was no longer going to succumb to Assyria's pressure. He was no longer going to put his nation under their thumb as the the way his father had done. And so he rebelled, and Sennacherib then decides he's going to invade Judah and the cities of Judah, the fortified cities, eventually moving in toward Jerusalem. Verse 14 of the same chapter, 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, and saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. 
and Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So Hezekiah, in his weakness, in his fear of what was happening, began to undo, to some extent, what he had done. He had opened the doors of the temple. He had the priests purge the temple of all the idolatrous things that were in it. And Hezekiah now begins to take the precious metals that were part of that temple and use them to try to appease the king of Syria. The fact of the matter is, it didn't work. It didn't work. Hezekiah buckles under pressure, and Sennacherib is not appeased. So Hezekiah calls his men to battle. And here Hezekiah uses some, you might say, good propaganda. This is verse 7 of chapter 32. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. These are the words of Hezekiah to his people, his army. Before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. Now he knew he was outnumbered by sheer numbers of human fighters. But I believe Hezekiah was talking about the, the army of the Lord. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. But Sennacherib is not backing off. He sends envoys to give a message to Hezekiah and to the people of of Jerusalem. And these envoys say this, his military commanders, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who trusts in him. Then the Rabshakeh, which is a military title, stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. This is King Sennacherib's man. Hear the word of the great king. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the nations, gods of the nations, ever delivered his hand, land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And he mentions several of the nations. Where are they? Where are those gods? Who among them has delivered them? Can the Lord God do anything for you? But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. And as soon as Hezekiah heard it, chapter 19 of 2 Kings, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and senior priests, and covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. 
And this is what Isaiah says to these representatives of King Hezekiah. Say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Second Chronicles 32, 17, like the gods of the nations of the land that who have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Again, this is Sennacherib speaking. And his messenger shouted with a loud voice in the, in the language of the people of Judah and Jerusalem, who were on the wall to frighten, terrify them in order that they might take the city. A use of propaganda, trying to demoralize the people of Judah. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are works of men's hands. Hezekiah receives the threatening message of the envoys, and he then turns again to the Lord. He goes into the temple of God, and he spreads this letter that he's received out before the Lord, and he begins to pray. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us. Please from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. This is followed by a lengthy prophetic word from Isaiah, which foretells of Sennacherib's fate and that of his army. And in verse 35 of that same chapter, it says this, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh, and he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, as he was worshiping. Adremelech and Sharitzer, his sons, struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And as Hardin, his son, reigned in his place. And so the word of the Lord from Isaiah came to fulfillment, Without the armies of Judah even taking up arms, the nation of Assyria and their army was defeated by the angels of the Lord. 185,000 killed. And that prophetic word further fulfilled as Sennacherib returns to his home and there in his temple of the false god, he's his life is taken by his own sons. An incredible story on many levels. 
just a few minutes left, and I just want to share some takeaways from this passage. First of all, the first thing that we saw this in this passage that I read was that as soon as Hezekiah finished doing all those mighty works of faith and trust in the Lord and acts of righteousness, trouble came. It's no coincidence that the writer of Second Chronicles points that out. One thing that we can take away from this is that faithfulness in serving God does not mean a trouble-free life. Amen? We are faced with challenges every day. It's not an indication that we've done anything wrong, necessarily. And mostly, I think, is an indication that we've done something right. There are different ideas of what the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is. And one person, I remember saying that I'd never forget this, heard it years ago. What's the evidence of being filled with the Spirit? And this guy said, trouble. If you're moving in the Spirit, you can expect it, but we have a God who is greater than any of the things that could come our way and the adversity that comes our way. The second thing that I want to share as a takeaway from this is that even though Hezekiah was the best of the kings of Judah, remember what it said, none before him, none after him was better. Even though that was true, he faltered in the face of the great pressure that he faced from the enemy. He also subsequently, and you can read this on your own at the end of the account of his life, he faltered again. But what? But that book of First Kings was written after his life was over. And it says, there was none before him or after him that was as great among the kings of Judah. And that tells us something. It tells us that the failures in our lives do not define us. We cannot allow the failures in our lives to define us. In Psalm 37, it says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll get back up again. Look at the lives of so many people that are recorded, uh, whose lives are recorded for us in the Scripture. David, an adulterer, and, and indirectly, if, at best, a murderer. And yet, God says that he's a man after God's own heart. He's the one against whom all those other kings of Judah and all the kings of Israel were measured. Peter denied the Lord on the night that he was arrested. Abraham told half-truths about his wife, Sarah. Jacob was a deceiver, and the list goes on and on. But these men were not defined by their failures and their faltering. They were defined by who God said they were and his calling on their lives and the hearts that they had for the Lord. The same was true of Hezekiah. We can't let the failures in our lives define us. We have to walk in the truth of who God says we are. Not anyone else, but who God says we are. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're children of the King. We're bought by the blood of Jesus. And that blood cleanses us from sin day after day as we confess our sins in the scripture that I shared 
last week or the week before, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Second Kings 18, 5 and 6, again, speaks about Hezekiah's faithfulness. What will God say about us after we're gone? After we're gone. Our legacy will be how we served him. Not our failures, but how we faithfully served him and trusted in him and did the work that he called us to do. One of the other takeaways from this story, this account, we can't let the tactics of the enemy discourage us to the point of surrender. Sennacherib taunts, he lies, he seeks to demoralize Judah every way he can. He uses that propaganda tool, and he created fear that he hoped would cause them to give up. Does this sound familiar? It should for all of us as believers because we face that same kind of thing. We're subject to that same kind of thing from Satan, the enemy of our soul, and sometimes our own flesh and our own minds, our own weaknesses. One commentator said this about the enemy of our souls, the tactics of intimidation and insinuation alternate in Satan's plan of campaign. He plays both bully and beguiler, force and fraud from his, form his chief offensive against the camp of the saints. We may hear things like, you don't really think you can overcome this problem, addiction, whatever. You don't really expect to have success in this schooling, career, you're not going to amount to anything. You're deceiving yourself if you think your marriage can be saved. Or do you really think that God cares about you? And by the way, what has this commitment to Jesus done for you Personally, What have you gotten out of it? Those and all sorts of other lies, all sorts of other taunts, all sorts of other things that try to discourage us, try to demoralize us, try to get us to, from, to turn from the Lord. We've heard things like that or like them, even more ten, intense attacks. How do we respond? Well, we respond in Christ, in his strength, and not in our own. You know, tactics in warfare can change depending on the situation. And interestingly, as these taunts, as these challenges came from Sennacherib's men to Hezekiah and the people of Judah, Hezekiah said to them, do not respond. Do not answer him. Do not answer him. He challenged them to keep their mouths shut. Interesting. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have the account of the armor of God that we are to don as the people of God engaging in spiritual warfare. 
And spiritual warfare is an ongoing thing for all of us. Sometimes it gets more intense than others, but we're in a battle every day of our lives. And so the armor of God is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes, our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. All but one of those swords are defensive weapons to protect us. That helmet that covers our heads, the kind of helmets that we wear at Via, it protects our mind, but it also covers our ears so that we can't hear so to speak, the taunts of the enemy. We should turn a deaf ear to them. Sometimes that's all we need to do, just to turn a deaf ear to the enemy to overcome him and to stand strong in our faith in Jesus and who he said we are and what he said we can do, and we are overcomers. Paul begins that section on the armor by urging believers to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. His might, not our own. His might. One other thing quickly, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we uh, prepare to close the service with a final song. And the last thing is simply this. A simple but critical and profound truth. Remember, in our times of adversity, in our times of battle against the enemy, that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Verse 14 of 2 Kings 19 says that Hezekiah received the letter from Sennacherib and he went into the house of the Lord. He had stripped the temple of the precious metals to try to appease Sennacherib. In his weakness, he began to give in to fear and doubt. But then something happened in his spirit. The Spirit of God, no doubt, began to speak to him and remind him of the man that he had become, of the things that he had done for the glory of God and obedience to his commandments. He remembered that the battle belongs to the Lord. He remembered that the God of Israel was their salvation. His mind cleared and his perspective returned to that of the king who clung to the living God. Let's stand together as we sing this final song, and then I'll come for a benediction.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hold on. Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. Hold on. Keep looking to him and trusting in him in all the adversity of life, in all the challenges that you face. Jesus is unfailing, and the battle belongs to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, everyone, for coming out today. Thank you for those of you who are joining us at home. Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.